0: Hey everybody! You're listening to another episode of Big Shiny Takes live. Is it? Can we say that? Yeah, live. This is live. You're, li-
1: you're listening to this as we're recording.
0: Yeah, it's when we've we've changed the game with podcasts. We're sitting in my living room. We're going. Actually.
1: We're going beyond podcasts,
0: straight into your ears. Yeah. So we're all sitting in my living room, and by all of us, I'm of course referring to my friend uh, Jeremy Appel. Hello. And uh, my other friend, uh, Mitchell Thompson from Press Progress. Hello. Say, where's Marino? Uh, it's raining. So uh, we are doing things live. Yeah. This,
1: this is actually a live
0: show. Yeah.
1: Um, there is an audience here in the background.
0: Yes. You can't hear them. We told them to be very quiet.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like all good audiences, they will honor our every joke with moments of silence.
0: Yes. <laughs> Respectful silence. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't recorded an episode in a few weeks, though. And I mean, the last one was very fun because uh, it was Adam Zevo talking about wanting uh, cops back at Pride. And uh,
1: that was so long ago.
0: I know. Um,
1: which, uh, by the way, uh, dear listener, we are going to try and get you uh, more episodes more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to do what it takes. Yeah. That's right. Eric is quitting his full-time job. <laughs> this, this is breaking news right it's now. He's just quitting just... his fu- – if you're, if you're Eric's boss, you're not anymore, and you're yeah. listening.
0: Well, I guess this is how I find out and how my employer also finds out. Yeah. Live episodes, everything's just happening all nope. the time. It's incredible. And new co-host Adam Zevo
1: is going to be there, <laughs> so uh, – <laughs>
0: That's right we're,
1: we're actually uh, we're doing a crossover episode with new Left radio yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah Andrew Lawton will be on to debate us about whether or not he's a he's a stupid idiot that deserved to get pepper spread. I will debate
1: Andrew Lawton by the way Joe NATO Joe if you're listening have me on your. I will debate I would destroy Andrew Lawton um, <laughs> and it would be really fun you're like arguing NATO with a be, child?
2: NATO Joe will be way
1: nicer to Andrew Lawton than you. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Look, I, I I think NATO Joe is a nice guy. My interactions with him have been mostly pleasant, um, but he he seems to serve this like sort of gatekeeping function, right? Where you know he is the uh, voice of the left, and then anyone who's to the left of him or more critical of U.S. foreign policy is just a crazy person. And I was actually thinking recently about his National Post op-ed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, He had uh, pinned to his Twitter profile. Now, pro tip, if you get ratioed, you should not pin that to your profile. (laughs) No, no, you shouldn't. (laughs) And and then there's this line that was like, we need to stand with all oppressed people from Palestine to North Korea. It's like... I mean, look, I I, I get the sentiment. You know, it's liberal internationalism. It's something that, you know, someone who um, I have a a deal of respect for, um, Heather McPherson, uh, the NDP foreign affairs critic, I think, suffers from where she'll uh, say great things about Palestine and uh, be spot on in condemning Israel's apartheid policies. But then when it comes to Ukraine... It's just like the exact same as if there's no difference there as if we we have the same responsibility um to ukrainians who are being invaded by russia yeah because nato uh keeps encroaching on russia's sphere of influence as palestinians who of course um are being encroached upon by our ally that we're actively uh funding through our free trade agreements and the U.S. through, you know, insane amounts of military aid that um, the Israelis actually have to spend on U.S. weapons. So,
0: I mean, Canada's foreign policy for my entire lifetime and probably since like World War II has just been in lockstep with the United States.
1: For the mm. most part. Um, but the ways in which it hasn't been lockstep with the United States have mostly been like even worse. Like if you read Tyler Shipley's uh, fantastic book, Canada and the World. Talks about how uh, actually, uh, you know, Samosa in Nicaragua, who uh, you know was replaced by the Sandinistas in the eighties, uh, the U.S. didn't really want to put him in power. It was actually Canadian mining interests that were like, "No, this this is our guy." Um, which is really interesting. But, and then, of course, there are like, like uh, you know, Canada's relations with Cuba. I mean, I guess that would be a departure from U.S. foreign policy, but not to the extent that it's depicted, right? I mean, Canada helps the um, United States undermine Castro's regime, even as it was, um, you know, engaging with, in trade with Cuba.
2: Yeah, I mean, Canadian imperialism has always preferred multilateralism, and so there's a certain breed of, like, liberal cretin that this country produces, where the normal reliance on expertise um, is a cover for justifying normal, uh, you know, enormous acts of imperial violence. So the, the liberals are very concerned Together like you know, and and they feed off of each other. So because we have a lot of technocrats, but you know, and, and you know, Canada was there for the partition of Palestine in '48, and and that policy has continued uh, to this day. And that Canada, its particular role, has always been an ally uh, in the building of apartheid, and it's also been instrumental in the creation, the development, and, and the building up of NATO. Whereas, you know, American imperialism is the dominant power has been a unilateral one. Canadian imperialism has been a supportive and I guess you could say multilateral one, which makes it much harder for uh, spineless liberals to question. And also they seem less horrible amongst themselves while they do it. But it does uh, create a a particular repulsion
1: (laughs) among the rest of us. speaking of which uh, i believe uh, israel bombed gaza for a few days um this week oh they gotta cease fire though so it's fine yeah it's yeah, fine yeah. they killed some children but it was actually <laughs> do you see that um that you know israeli government account that was like confirmed uh israel's killed four uh islamic jihad fighters in gaza great news and then it came out that they were children. And they're like, oh, never mind. Israel actually wasn't operating there at the time. It was um, Islam Jihad um, rockets. And, I mean, even if it was, the Israelis just decided to bomb Gaza, right? There there was no rhyme or reason to it. They just decided to assassinate uh, Islam Jihad. And, look, I don't have any sympathies with Islam Jihad, in, in case you're wondering. But... I did it's weird. Right. I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're, we're divided on that here. But it makes being gay very difficult. Again, I mean, you know, the, 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 the people who are shrieking about Israel's right to defend themselves now are just openly admitting that they think Israel has the right to unilaterally bomb the Palestinians whenever it feels like it. Whenever, um, their like centrist prime minister decides he wants to look tough because there's an election coming up. Um and um that the Palestinians just need to put up with that and that it's actually in their own interests. Um friend of the show, Noah Zatzman, uh, had a
0: <laughs>
1: had a take. Um for those of you who've forgotten who Noah Zatzman are, which I would hope is most of you, he is the guy whose um slandering of his own party's MPs uh led to the implosion of the Green Christ. Party. <laughs> Uh, which he's no longer involved with in any capacity. He wants to be involved with liberals, but I think his brand is a bit too toxic um, for the party that is not so much a political party as a brand.
2: Headed by a prime minister who, one of his first acts, was writing to the International Criminal Court to say that Palestinians don't have the right to war crime protections because they're a stateless people. That's our our kind, humane uh, prime minister at work there.
1: Which is interesting because I thought Canada's position is that there needs to be a Palestinian state.
0: Yeah, it's a two-state solution. But it has to come but through negotiations
1: be. Where, so Israel can just eat up all the land surrounding it and then we'll call it a state. Um, yeah, it'll be once the Palestinians all agree to die. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Ariel Sharon. Um, so, so didn't Noah say that Zionists are the only ones who care about Palestinian children
2: yes he retweeted uh something earlier today it was a retweet it wasn't his original take but uh, it was fucked up
1: well i don't think he has any original text
2: right (laughs) up here i sent it to a friend to shit talk him so the tweet he the the post he, he shared was uh this isn't me talking i see many jews and zionists despairing at the killing of innocent palestinians by palestinian islamic jihad but I never see pro-Palestine activists showing the same sentiment towards innocent Israelis being targeted by Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Shameful.
1: What else is in the news? Let's lighten things up. What's, oh, what's hospitals? Yeah, yeah what's, no, <laughs> the,
0: hospitals are just collapsing right now. It's great. I uh, I got to go to the emergency room on Thursday. That's uh, crazy. And it was it was fun um, because my grandfather needed to get a blood test. And it happens, and then they said that they were going to monitor them overnight. But instead of monitoring them overnight, they uh, they had them sit in the merge until one thirty, and then they sent them home. Uh, there's there's no beds, there's no personnel at hospitals right now. It's it, it's almost like um, the provincial governments withheld funding to um, the <laughs> the Ministry of Health during um, a once in a lifetime health care emergency
1: i suspect this isn't going to be a once in a lifetime thing i think this is going to be many times in our like literally <laughs> a the rest of our lives yeah. are going to be fueled by uh plague and death and that's just something we're gonna to have to get used to but good thing uh the COVID-19 pandemic is
0: over yeah, yeah, that is very good. That it's yeah, because it no we'd exists. be really fucked. And another that... another good thing is you know TV's getting better. TV's pretty good. That's true. <laughs> it's um, that's, I don't that's know. true. <laughs> uh, have you have you guys seen the rehearsal? I haven't yet. I haven't yet, but I'm a big Nathan Fielder fan. Um, I know some people got annoyed at the show, and I I haven't seen it yet. Babies. But I, I would like to say that you're wrong. Preemptively, I will say I disagree.
1: There's also another Woodstock 99 document.
0: (laughs) Why? Why?
1: This one's actually, I watched it last night. Um, I I thought it was better than the HBO one because uh, it doesn't treat Woodstock 99 like it was this like world historical event that like led to uh, the election of Donald Trump. (laughs) Is that what they said? Well, that it was just this white male rage of like Biscuit fans that is is the same thing as um, you know what drove the uh, the the insurrection on January 6th. Who
0: made like is this like made by Lin Manuel Miranda? Like who made this documentary? I don't understand. Was he at Woodstock ninety nine? <laughs> <laughs> probably.
1: Was thing the Sublime? <laughs> yeah. I don't think sublime no because uh, Bradley Noel was dead by then, I think I don't know. I was never a huge sublime guy. I had
0: friends who were I think they're all right I kind of like them. I don't want to talk about it anymore though. We're not here to talk about sublime though. um we're here to talk about a column that uh, could be described as sublime. Yes, yes, or if we're going with you know other words to describe this column, bad. It's a bad column. It's, um, it's written by Jamil Giovanni, uh, who is a, a very interesting character. He's the most cancelled man in Canada. if you believe the newsletter he wrote for the McDonald Laurier Institute after he had his talk show on a major market radio station cancelled, uh, he said there weren't there was not room for conservative voices in mainstream media. How does that make you feel, guys?
2: Uh, there's definitely a, a shortage of conservatives in Canadian media. <laughs>
0: it's so true. It's so true. I just love the idea that a think tank uh, sponsored your um, I'm not, I'm being silenced for my truth. Uh, substack piece.
1: Right. And so that is of course the McDonald Laurier Institute uh, listeners will probably be familiar with this outfit, but For those who aren't Eric, how how would you describe the McDonald Laurier Institute?
0: Oh my God, it is like it's almost like a parody of a think tank. It's so like on the nose, right? It it's McDonald Laurier Institute um, loves to defend statues, loves to yell about China, loves to drum the Cold War drum a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, stands with Israel. Yeah it it is every weird uncle's takes glued into one i mean not great takes on residential schools not great takes on the environment not great takes on oh god what else what else have i seen them talk about? charles (laughs) murray yeah on like skull sizes (laughs) i haven't seen any phrenology from the mcdonald laurie institute but it's one of those things where it's like they'll defend your right to do and so, I think it's important to remember that Jamil Giovanni has a relationship with the McDonald Laurier Institute where he was writing for them because they come up in this column. It's kind wow. of wow, it's so weird it's like but, but
1: naturally because you know the National Post is, is a, it's a serious media outlet he he discloses that um potential for a perceived conflict of interest, right?
0: Oh, I really hate disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of an, a yes and guy. But no, he does not disclose the fact that he has done work for the McDonald Laurie Institute. It's very shocking that he didn't do that, right?
1: Well, because I remember when Adam Zevo was in Ukraine and he was just writing about uh <laughs> Russian perfidy, he, he did disclose um that he worked for NATO, right? That <laughs> that wasn't something uh David Pugliese had
0: to had to dig up. Um <laughs> Jeremy, you're going to be really disappointed. Um, Am I misremembering? I think David had to do a little bit of uh, uh, perusing Adam's uh, website. He's a really, really good website. I mean, he was just an intern. Yeah, it's true. That's true. What does a NATO intern do (laughs) (laughs) anyway? Light war crimes.
1: I got to say, given
2: that we're covering Jumil Javai today, I really question why I'm your Quillette guy. Every Quillette writer will slowly do. Um, Jamil <laughs> Jabani had a point where he was writing men's rights tracks before he was writing anti-vaccine tracks.
1: Oh yes, that's right. That because he used to be, he used to be like kind of like a liberal type figure, right? Like he 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 came to my awareness when he was like speaking out against carding and how it affects like young. Um, racialized men. Um, and then, yeah, I think he, he sort of took that as a path towards like writing like incel shit about how like white men um, are being persecuted. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: Uh, here. So, so what's this piece? This one is about uh, the collateral damage Trudeau's war on climate change is causing, but, but, before we get into that, I, I do want to hear a little bit about uh, Jamil Javani's uh, catalog at Quillette. I had no idea he wrote for... We'll, uh, pull it up. we'll pull up some headlines we can read a lot.
2: Yeah, I'd previously known Jamil Javani because he briefly worked for the Ontario government as an advisor to Doug Ford's Progressive Conservatives um, on opportunities um, where, if you j- check out his website, one of his proposals... Uh, was getting rid of schools and replacing them with uh, charter schools, which is a terrible idea, right. um, in order to destroy the province's teachers' unions. That idea didn't quite take off, and he was fired. I- I'm not quite sure what he ever did. Um, and then, as we know, he became the most canceled man in the province. But <laughs> before he moved on to those greener pastures, he uh, he was at Quillette, and... Um,
0: we all start at Quillette, after all. <laughs> we all. All of us write one Frisbee story for yeah. Quillette. Yeah, it's, That's how the media works these days.
2: Okay, so he last wrote for Quillette in 2018. Uh, here are some of the headlines. Democrats control America's most dangerous cities. So why do they keep passing the buck on gun crime? Why Sam Harris, not Ezra Klein, is the one making space for people of color? <laughs> that's true, I think he only wrote those two actually <laughs> <laughs>
1: um
0: i got I got my favorite jimil Giovanni column ever written open in front of me. It's called three uh, hundred is more than just an action movie. It's a parable for our time
1: oh yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> we read that with emac right?
0: yeah yeah, yeah evan mcdonald uh the golden boy of leftist podcasting in Canada right now I miss Evan evan. If you're listening, come on the show sometime. But, yeah. Oh, we,
1: we, we have plans. I'll tell them about you after. Okay, fantastic.
0: So, yeah, this column today that we are eventually going to read in my living room live to our audience. Yeah, to our studio audience. <laughs> to our studio audience, which, who, is, who have all been incredibly polite. Um,
1: That's why you can't hear them.
0: Yes. It's because they're modest. Yeah, modest and respectful audience members everybody can learn something from these people um so jamil Giovanni says trudeau's war on climate change has gone too far which i guess would imply that the trudeau government has been doing anything to combat climate change and like maybe yeah, that's, that's reductive but like everything is like a watered down watered down thing Every target that the liberal government has set in this country has been less than what we need. And every target that they've also set, they've missed, right? So, like, I don't know how you can call this a war on climate change. I think this is very um, childish. Yeah, I mean,
2: he's uh, a sub—the Trudeau government has offered billions to big oil— Uh, Although more recently that was on the promise that the oil extraction project, including Beta Nord, which is going to achieve with offshore drilling uh, about a million barrels of oil, is going to be net zero uh, by, I think, 2050. And Just, the environment minister at the time, I remember, said no one has ever thought of this idea before or something akin to that. <laughs> and that's because it's stupid. it's stupid. It's an incredibly stupid idea. An <laughs> offshore drilling project that's net zero is...
0: <laughs> it makes it's me so mad. It's the sort
2: of idea that only someone like Justin Trudeau could think is smart.
0: Yeah, I feel like the most Canadian thing in the entire world is to like mistake incoherence for nuance or expertise. Like it's like, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. They're doing this thing that's the opposite of what they're actually doing. It's it's nonsense to have an offshore drilling project be net zero, as you said just just before. But if you ask someone like Jamil Giovanni, they'll be yelling about the fact that Stephen Gibo is the environment minister because he was an activist at one point he climbed the cn tower he made a bunch of noise right it didn't stop him from saying that you know oil and gas companies may be given more time past 2030 to meet their uh, emissions targets we're spinning our tires here and nothing actually seems to be getting done and so like i don't know if like the war on drugs is the the proper thing to compare to as Jamil does in this uh, this column,
1: yeah, exactly. I, I I mean this idea that Trudeau is pushing too aggressively to combat climate change and that this is going to have devastating results for vulnerable people. I mean it's just pure fantasy. I mean right? I mean the government still approving fossil fuel projects but just saying, oh yeah, no, they'll get to net zero. Because we'll have carbon capture technology by, developed by then, which is, you know, always a good sign when you're relying on uh, technology that doesn't exist yet.
2: Oh, it's really good. Especially if you can use that technology to make it easier to frack. <laughs> of
0: course. <laughs> I just took a look at the time and realized that we are already running late. So um, maybe we should start reading this, uh, this atrocity of a column. Yeah, let's um, do it. Jamil
2: Javani. The Collateral Damage of Trudeau's War on Climate Change. Should I read the subhead? Yeah, yeah, give me the subhead. The subhead. Similar to the war on drugs, the war on climate change has a seemingly noble and justifiable aim.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like what year is this? (laughs) That the war on drugs like seems like when you say war on drugs now, like you're referring to a failed policy that's incarcerated untold amounts of uh, young racialized people, just um, you know perpetuating
0: lifetimes caught in the uh, carceral system. Well, on top of that, like the war on climate change doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, and also. The the noble and justifiable aim of the, the you know, supposed war on climate change is to keep millions of people from dying. <laughs> like, like, it's, it just doesn't, it's so silly. Please continue.
2: But proponents of both wars are willing to overlook the human suffering caused by their decision.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> what kind of human suffering do you think uh, Giovanni's talking about here?
2: We'll find out. Uh, the picture is of a, a farmer's field by uh, David Bloom.
0: <laughs> Which, honestly, like if if you were on the roads in the last couple weeks, I can't remember what day it was, but there was a there was a, a mini convoy in a bunch of different cities. People flying Dutch flags in support of the the international right wing movement to support Dutch farmers for. Protesting their government, trying to limit the amount of nitrogen in their soil, I don't know if you you saw any of that happening, but it was incredibly stupid and again, like <laughs> the issue is these people are going to make less money like that is that is the big issue that's what he's talking about in terms of suffering he's not talking about displacement, he's not talking about deaths he's not talking about uh um people having their homes blown up by uh, bombs made in Ohio. He's talking about making less money, profit margins, the real people.
2: Most people I know are worried about climate change for genuine reasons. I don't believe that. (laughs) But there is an influential subset of people and organizations that are so ideologically captured by a war on climate change. (laughs) They're unfazed by the suffering of whoever gets caught in the crossfire. (laughs) Recently, Canadian farmers and Indigenous community leaders have been voicing their concern over how the war on climate change is impacting their business and economic prospects.
0: That is one of the points that I would like to bring up, is how willing people specifically attached to the McDonald laurier Institute, although I do think this is like a National Post thing altogether, uh, how willing they are to speak for indigenous communities. And like, not only that, but speak for them like they're a total monolith. And uh, they can only have one opinion. It's so stupid. They're never like, you know, we asked white people what they thought of climate change, and they all think the same thing. It's just, it's a preposterous idea. But it it's always used because I guess they have total disdain for their audience.
2: These are the only indigenous voices that matter, according to the National Post.
1: <laughs> right.
2: The ones who represent the oil industry. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, the ones who are paid by the oil industry to uh, support fossil fuel projects because uh, colonialism has robbed them of any other means of being economically viable.
2: For farmers – I'm sorry, I'm doing my John K voice – for farmers,
1: <laughs> the issue is a phenomenon called
2: greenflation. Colon. In an effort <laughs> it's, it's, to sorry. implement green energy policies, governments are making it more expensive <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, and it's, less it's, profitable for certain industries to do business, which, like, okay, I don't, whatever, uh, which raises the cost of goods and services throughout
0: the economy. How long is that sentence? It's uh it's good five lines.
1: Um, yeah, it's like 40 words.
0: Yeah. It's dog shit, but also like it's also like just a useless paragraph. He's he's coming up with a buzzword to explain uh profit margins being narrower on account of the planet is on fire. It's really like you don't need a new word for that. It's a um, phenomenon. Yeah, it's, it is a, it's a phenomenon. And I know, like, everybody likes to yell about inflation right now. So why don't we just glue green onto it? We make it a portmanteau. We get people scared about this thing that's totally real and not made up by uh, complete cranks.
2: As Bloomberg reported, Canada's liberal government is proposing to cut emissions from fertilizer 30% by 2030 as part of a plan to get to net zero in the next three decades. Such a proposal means that farmers will need to shrink grain output significantly at a time when the world is scrambling for more supplies, and the reduced output could result in farmers losing $10.4 billion over the next decade. Damn, they're going to have to use fertilizer more
0: efficiently. (laughs) It's, it's, It's almost like they're... Like, this is... The thing is they'll never talk about why the government wants this. And it's it's been driving me nuts because like everything, if you search, you know, cutting 30% or cutting 30% of uh, uh, nitrogen in, a, in fertilizer, it's just like the Toronto Sun. It's um, lobbying groups for farmers going like, how could the government want this? Do they want a food shortage? How dare they? There's never like anything like, oh, this is the reason why. That makes me suspicious. Crucially. Okay. <laughs> Bloomberg also
2: explains why liberals have turned their focus to farmers. I don't think they are turning their focus to farmers. I think they're turning the focus to the fertilizer industry. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, they're, they're trying to hurt the farmers. That's Fuck you, doing farmers. Yeah. Fucking farmers, dude. Yeah. You got to get rid of them.
2: You know, I have to, I've had enough of farmers.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, Trudeau is channeling Paul Pot.
0: It's, if anyone at home was curious as to why, um, you know, governments across the world are trying to find ways of cutting nitrogen um, uh, or cutting the amount of nitrogen in fertilizer, um great, great article in Yale Environment 360 uh, titled, Can the World Find Solutions to the Nitrogen Pollution Crisis?, uh, more and more nitrogen keeps pouring into waterways, unleashing algal blooms and creating dead zones. To prevent the problem from worsening, scientists warn uh, the world must drastically cut back on synthetic fertilizers and double the efficiency of nitrogen used on farms. Jamil kind of missed that. It's almost like he doesn't read. I'm sure he's <laughs> getting to it. Yeah, okay, we'll see. We'll see if he gets it uh, later on, if he doesn't talk about greenflation more.
2: According to reporter Jen Scarrett. You can't be a real person. It's
0: just. <laughs> the tension comes as efforts to
2: cut carbon dioxide emissions related to energy are lagging, so policymakers are increasingly looking to other sectors, including agriculture.
0: Okay, I think this is actually different pollutants, too, right? Like, this is. Nitrogen and carbon dioxide are, are different things, yeah. <laughs> I, will say, I will say. I need to know more about Jens Garrett now because... I don't know what she's talking about. Jen Skerritt is actually just the paperclip uh,
2: on Microsoft Word, but that equivalent to the fertilizer. Well, I'm going to have to defer to Jamil Giovanni.
0: Right, right. Sorry, my mistake.
2: Who, as we know, is, is uh united town and country and, and really gone back to the land. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, I understand his agricultural <laughs> yield is quite high. <laughs> because of all the fertilizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greenflation, like other inflationary pressures, doesn't stop at decreasing the profit margins of businesses. Semicolon consumers <laughs> will also have to pay more. Why's that? Why? Yeah. Why is that? Why? Who's who's who decides that? It's almost like you can businesses gouge people.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost like the only thing that ever actually matters to a business is the profit margin and uh, they will charge whatever they they're um, allowed to and maybe there should be limits to the amount that they can charge
2: it's almost like as marx explained in capital volume three that the problem with capitalism is that the development of the forces of production is changed by the antagonistic
0: realm of distribution <laughs> it's it's so weird uh i think javel gets it to that uh later on in right, the call yeah, actually he gets to the end of volume three yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. all right cool <laughs> At a time when life is getting more expensive for hardworking families and farmers. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to single out farmers as lazy. I just you know it should be hard for governments to rationalize policies that will drive up the cost of food.
0: Clearly our government is putting ideology above the needs of its citizens. But it's not like it's not creating policies that will drive up the cost of food. Businesses are driving up the cost of food because they're able to and they're not willing to lose money.
1: Yeah, and the liberals aren't stopping them from doing that. So I mean that's a valid critique. But uh I don't see uh Mr. Giovanni making that point. It's just like no, we shouldn't do anything because it could drive up the cost of food rather than, oh, we should Make it
0: so uh, producers can't drive up the cost of food. This is an existential crisis, right? Like it's like we do this or we're fucked like and millions of people are displaced and like maybe there will be no future. Right. So like one of my notes uh, to your point, Jeremy, was this government will never stand in the way of businesses making money. As we can see with our – we went from like a zero COVID plan to a zero COVID precaution plan.
2: Zero fucks plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just kind of
0: – just buckle up and go for it. Like it just – we we are not willing to in this country to let any business suffer uh, the slightest decrease in their profit margin because that that would be – I guess that would be communism, which is apparently bad. So like again, like Giovanni – more worried about businesses losing money than human beings. But uh, I don't know if he realizes that with his arguments. Like he he keeps going like, oh, these hardworking people, these taxpaying farmer guys, these, these wonderful captains of industry. Like, it's just like he's trying to like paint it as like some sort of working class struggle when it's, it's no, these incredibly large companies do not want to lose any of their massive massive profits.
2: Indigenous communities are also caught in the crossfire of the war on climate change <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's very clever and, and to
0: speak and to speak for all indigenous communities we have a wonderful think tank to uh, to tell us what yeah. what to think.
2: If you want to know what indigenous communities think, surely you would ask the McDonald Laurier Institute. It's, it's just it's, it's,
0: And I mean, the McDonald Laurier Institute has like liberal identity politics down to a T because like they have, they actually have several people of color working for them, right? They have like Jamil Giovanni and also this person who's quoted in this next sentence. The MacDonald Laurier
2: Institute's Chris Sankey and Melissa Barkey recently made this point in response to what they call eco colonialism from The Guardian and the Narwhal, which I think <laughs> is the only form of colonialism that the National Post opinion page won't defend. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, well it's it's
1: Well hold on, let's see, let's see, let's hear them out. Let's hear them out. Okay.
2: Sankey and Markey explain that eco-colonialism is perpetrated by climate radicals who believe that their ideology justifies denying indigenous communities the right to speak for themselves and denying them access to opportunities that the colonizers have enjoyed for centuries. That's like a wild take. Why did something happen? (laughs) <laughs> why is it that indigenous people have a hard time getting food did that, <laughs> you know, some, some did mcdonald and laurier have something to a, do with it's that it's maybe huh
0: there's there's no way of knowing really but i i do think it's it's incredible that uh this this graph or this quote accuses um random activists for speaking for entire communities which i do i do think you know there's a problem with you know white leftists um deciding what is you know best for everyone not in like i don't think this is the situation that i would accuse them of doing this though like this is like two people working for one of the worst think tanks in this country um saying the exact thing that the think tank wants them to say Writing for a paper that defended residential
2: schools. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have defended residential schools dozens and dozens of times.
0: Dozens yeah. and dozens of times. And also, like, their quote is speaking for all indigenous communities in the country, which is the exact thing that they're criticizing these uh, these unnamed, faceless, eco-colonialists, right? they
2: are saying by Jamil's logic, this fails.
0: Yes, it does not pass... The uh, the Giovanni test.
2: Yeah, the hypocrisy test. Yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: yeah, All right, should we keep going?
2: Both publications... It's kind of funny that it's a website. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Both publications engaged in eco-colonialism by writing an article that presented pro-resource development indigenous leaders as being financed by American conservatives to oppose
0: indigenous energy rights. Um... Were they <laughs> were they just presented as that, or were they? I do feel like there's a distinction there because if they were financed by Americans conservatives that uh you know engaged in climate change denial and engaged in the old song and dance that the think tanks in the states um love to do um then it's just journalism. Giovanni is accusing <laughs> these publications of doing, and I know their websites I know you have like a thing about uh <laughs> <laughs> about publications being used for uh specific news websites yeah. like, it's kind of silly, but i like i i I think it's like more silly that he's upset at journalists doing journalism,
2: yeah, yeah, like for instance, we've
0: portrayed Jamil Giovanni as being an idiot <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> we have that's that's our framing, and I do feel like that's accurate framing in this in this you know context. You know reality.
2: This is some postmodernism here. I think that's going on. <laughs> Just meta
0: narratives. Is everything good, Jeremy? I saw you on your phone for a bit.
1: Oh no, yeah, I, I made Matt Gurney really mad. We'll talk about it after. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: he's so mad. Oh man. Of course, this perspective completely
2: ignores the differing views on energy development within indigenous communities. Eco-colonialists assume, the only, sorry. eco-colonialists assume the only authentic indigenous perspectives are the ones that are in line with the priorities of eco-colonialists. I got to say, I, I have some disagreements with elements of the environmental movement, but I really think they should stop calling themselves eco-colonialists.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's a branding it's, problem. It's like not a good name. Yeah. It's, it's so if that's equal
1: eco-colonialism, what is it when you tell indigenous people that they have to support these uh, projects that destroy the planet to make money? Because they have no other option. What's that? What do we call that? What if you
2: like <laughs> coerce a layer of indigenous people into signing on to destructive environmental projects and like not saying stuff when there's violence against other indigenous people by the Canadian <laughs> state? You know, dare I say that kind of sounds a little colonial.
0: It's funny that there's scaremongering about eco colonialism when they're doing good old fashioned colonialism with this column.
2: Interesting.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm starting to question
2: the wisdom <laughs> that the McDonnell Laurier Institute can impart on the subject of colonialism.
0: <laughs> it's almost like they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, it's funny to like see them write anything um, moderately critical of colonialism, considering their namesake and everything that they've ever done up until this point. But, I mean... Here we are. Time is a flat circle. It's just it's just a really stupid flat circle. Yeah. Uh, you want to keep going? Yeah. Nothing I want more.
2: As Sankey and Barkey conclude, we have the right to say either yes or no to projects on lands on which we are the rights holders, free of coercion and interference, and free of the paternalistic sneering of people who, who think they know better than we do? What is in our interest as indigenous people? Yeah, honestly, taking this paragraph out of context—I uh, mean, the National Post wants to stand by that paragraph as a matter of principle. <laughs> and
0: sure, I—I yeah. I have no objection to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. It's so—that's so incredible because, like, that—that that could be used to challenge any number of columns in that fucking newspaper on any given day. Uh, You want to keep going?
2: It's bizarre that news outlets claiming to care about Indigenous rights would actually undermine Indigenous self-determination. Semicolon. (laughs) Just as it's bizarre that Canada's liberal government, which claims to be a champion for the country's middle class, would deliberately make life more expensive for those very same people.
0: So... The idea that the goal of the liberal government is to make things more expensive for the middle class, um, which is like not really a real thing, right, um, it is, is like incredibly, incredibly dishonest um, intellectually and also just like literally.
2: But war can bring out the callous side of people and organizations. Consider the war on drugs as a comparison. <laughs>
0: which was not an actual war (laughs) yeah what can you guys tell me about the war on drugs that would be helpful i believe it was when the drugs uh attacked pearl harbor right yes yeah yes (laughs) drugs attacked pearl harbor yeah it's like it's one of those like these incredible things where like the war on drugs was was this like buzzword i think it was like it was nixon was it not like president nixon Uh, Yeah, that sounds right. And it was escalated
1: under Carter and then Reagan, Clinton, Bush Sr.
0: Right, 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 right. Um, And it was a series of overtly racist uh, policies that uh, disproportionately um, affected racialized communities um, and absolutely tore them apart because it's at incredibly steep penalties for possession of drugs, Uh, more common in specific communities. And so, I don't understand where a through line could be made between the war on drugs and the war on climate change. Also, that the war on drugs was used overwhelmingly against also indigenous communities
2: all over Latin America, and that, you know, and, and enormous acts of violence,
1: I just mean, like the war on climate change. <laughs> it's which, which is a thing, thing that exists.
0: exists. It's a very real thing. <laughs> it's it's so real. Oh, I keep forgetting how real it is. I'm so bummed out by just the idea that someone's going to read this and be like, yeah, yeah, totally. But it's not like,
1: like the people who are going to read this and be like, yeah, totally are going to th- like think that anyways. Right. It's not right. The national, po- and, you know, national post opinion page isn't exactly, you know, winning hearts and minds. It's just there
0: to make people who already think these things, uh, happy. Yeah. And um, increasingly so, it it feels like it's just a it's a subsidy for think tanks. Right. As we can see by uh, (laughs) by this uh, media bailout receiving company, um, giving lots of space to a think tank fellow who also quoted the think tank that he works for. Or members of that think tank, right?
2: Also, the National Post totally has supported the war on drugs. (laughs) Yeah. And all sorts of other acts of
1: police violence. Yeah. Well, I think actually Conrad Black has spoken out against the war on drugs because he's tied it into how he was unjustly imprisoned, just like people who uh, were unjustly imprisoned during the war on drugs. So it's,
0: it's, yeah. So, yeah, I'm
1: sure, uh, you know, Barbara Kay is, uh, huge critic of uh, uh punitive drug policies yeah,
0: i'm
1: to sure they're really yeah, gonna yeah. oppose uh you know and rex
0: murphy yeah he hates it yeah, yeah.
1: he's speaking out against it all the time
0: he's yeah trying to get you know people who are in prison for five years for you know weed possession in the states he's just fighting every day for their uh, for their pardoning um it, it's like i i think the the closest thing that giovanni comes to like comparing the two things is that the war on drugs was a failure despite it being based in good ideas which i don't think it was i think it was like an overtly racist thing but the war on climate change will also be a failure that hurts people i think that's the point he's trying to make which is i mean overly generous because like i feel like that's more coherent than anything he says in the next couple paragraphs
2: i think it's actually a meta metatextual piece because <laughs> the article is also on. a failure.
0: Yes, yeah. And he himself is a failure. <laughs> it's it's what uh what some people might call total art. Goshum <laughs> craft. Okay, cool. Um started by US President Richard Nixon in the nineteen seventies. Nineteen
2: seventy one, yep. The war on drugs had the noble and justifiable aim of curbing the spread of potentially deadly illicit drugs. Well, actually, I think they raised marijuana to Schedule 1, which is not a deadly illicit drug. Um, Noble. Noble. It is is a very noble drug. Yeah, yeah. That's true. (laughs) But government (laughs) officials were so focused on their ideological opposition to drugs that they grew to be largely unmoved by cries for mercy. Yes, that's what happened. You know, this when I think of the Reagan administration, I think of a government that was really ideologically opposed to drugs. That's famously true of the Reagan government. Yeah. It's not like there was a very famous scandal about them helping funnel crack cocaine all over the southern half of the United States. Yeah. I when I think of Reagan, I definitely think of someone who had absolutely no involvement in the spread of drugs.
0: Yeah yeah the thing that they really really hated was drugs not not specific people yeah yeah that's crazy
2: yeah and and you know it is totally not true that American intelligence agencies help flood inner cities with heroin never happened it was not a strategy used to destroy radical movements never
1: gary webb's a liar
2: yeah yeah well he killed himself he fired the gun he <laughs> <laughs> felt so guilty yeah yeah the famous suicide tactic blowing <laughs> well, your brains out from behind yeah. <laughs>
0: it's, 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 it's a logistical nightmare but it's the best way to go he was out
2: also here. an acrobat
0: yeah there's a very flexible bit of, <laughs> yeah people forget that part
2: double jointed yeah, yeah. suicide attempt by gary webb <laughs> laws and policies had harsh consequences for people afflicted by addiction and also just regular people <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: people that just um, wanted to smoke some weed
2: yeah <laughs> fathers and mothers who needed help were being locked up for decades for possessing small amounts of drugs While pharmaceutical companies made billions of dollars pushing legal and federally regulated opioids on Americans. Similar to the war on drugs, the war on climate change is a seemingly noble and justifiable (laughs) aim. But proponents of both wars are willing to overlook the collateral damage caused by their own decisions. The war on climate change will fail, like the war on drugs, if it continues to ignore the human suffering it is causing. Actually, I think (laughs) the suffering was the cause of the war on drugs. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Dare I say it. Canadians care about climate change because we care about the future of our planet. We also need to care about human beings who are alive today. Balance is needed, and right now we aren't getting it.
0: What the fuck? Oh, my God. I mean, every sentence in this is is fucking horrible right like because he's like he's worried about the human suffering it's causing which is profits not you know the human suffering that will come as a result of climate change not being slowed or mitigated to any degree and when i think of the national post yeah uh, i think of
2: a paper that really opposes suffering yeah they've taken <laughs> bold stand again and again. <laughs> In defense of apartheid, uh, Israeli apartheid and other apartheid, sure, that one too. Uh, well, it defended. wasn't
1: around during the original apartheid, but I mean, I don't know, Barbara Kay wrote a column uh, last week about how she's given up on Amnesty International because they're critical of Israel and uh, they support trans women. And uh, she was saying how she has always been a donor to Amnesty International because uh, she admired its principled position against apartheid in South Africa. And it's like, there's no way Barbara Kay opposed apartheid in South Africa.
2: You had, uh, of course. In retrospect, they defended Augusta
1: Pinochet. Um, and he's a human.
2: Supported the war on
1: terror where there was no, uh, no suffering. Like, is there a single national post columnist who didn't start the Iraq War? Maybe Chris Selle. Uh, I don't know because
0: he's the only one who isn't like a complete fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know what Selly said about the Iraq War, but. Probably nothing. He probably stayed quiet, which probably
1: probably didn't oppose it. But
0: well, it's like how else do you stay as a columnist in in a place like uh, like the National Post if you don't adhere to the uh, the the absolute like mind meld that everybody there has? Like these places love to talk about heterodoxy and having like a bunch of different ideas in it, but, like, every column sounds like it could be written by Conrad Black in this fucking newspaper. Like, every single thing is exactly the same. Occasionally, you get, like, a fun thing, like Jesse Klein and his uh, Let's Abolish Parks, but it's, like, this opinion could be held by any number of columnists. Like, this was not unique to Jamil Giovanni's ideas at all. Think about how much research this column required. (laughs) Think he read a Bloomberg
2: piece? Yes. yes. He read he read an article. Uh, I think half of it is quotes from Bloomberg too. Yeah.
0: I don't wanna I didn't wanna cut you off, but yeah, he I have this in my notes. He read an article and he quoted it, and then he quoted his two co workers. Sweet. <laughs> it's it's just like this was fifteen minutes on a Tuesday. Like this was the easiest fucking thing yeah, to yeah. write. Yeah,
1: well these guys don't.
0: You know, they don't put any effort or thought or research
1: into their opinions. They just kind of put them out there. And then, you know, Carson Jerma copies and pastes them into uh, InDesign and, (laughs) you know, calls it a day. And uh, I remember once I asked Matt Gurney how much he gets paid back when he was the... uh, comment editor of national post and he uh famously didn't edit that really racist rex murphy column mm-hmm. because uh he said it would be on the front page he wasn't sure whether it, it or not and uh anyways turns out uh people get really offended when you ask how much money they make um especially when they don't do shit for it so.
0: yeah he is uh he is like the poster boy for like useless bag of shit that writes for yeah, yeah. Uh, for newspapers like he is <laughs> Like, he's so dumb.
2: Ontario no. Tax money like, would actually be better spent giving it to someone on welfare who was using heroin than going to Max G- Matt Gurney. Oh,
1: my oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. 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 yeah well, yeah. he's Steve Payton's buddy, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how he gets um, opportunities to write paid work. As are a lot of people, it turns out. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> shitty people are good friends <laughs> to Steve Payton.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard some things. Uh, we're not friends with him, though. No, I could never be friends with a Thai Cats fan <laughs> <laughs> oh. or a Red Sox fan. Oh, he's
2: not
1: going to be on the next episode. Uh, I, we, uh, I, hey, Steve, if you're listening, um,
0: we'd love to have you on. Yeah, I would love to ask Steve questions about why he and Wink Yahoo have never been seen together in the same room.
2: Steve. Why did you interview Alexander Dugan? <laughs> <laughs> you guys seen that interview? It's so good. I didn't see
0: it. I saw, him, I saw him interview the kid that had a lot of good things to say about Dugan, but I never saw him interview Dugan. I uh,
1: I am. Um, there is a piece I want to write about how Steve Paken. Nobody has done more to, to legitimize the far right in Canada than Steve Pakin. Um And I do want to write about that. But uh, fuck. Well, like with Peterson. Yeah. Like it's just like he Pearson's good good, close personal friend, Vodek Schomburg's their senior producer. And he produced that panel where they found the only trans person in the world who uh, doesn't think Pearson's a piece of shit to defend him. And then (laughs) Steve asks him, Hey, what are you going to do if you go to jail for not using someone's pronouns? And he said, I'm going to go on a hunger strike. And Steve did not follow it up with like, but how are you going to go to jail for using someone's pronouns? For not using someone's pronouns. So I mean there's a lot of shit there. Uh very chummy with Ezra Levant. And then he'll be like, Oh, well, I had this left wing person on and I was nice to them too.
2: Yeah, the s- center rule is you can be like, Here I am from the um Joseph Mengele Center for Conservative Values, and he'll be like, You have some really creative ideas. But if you're there from QP,
0: prepare for the Spanish Inquisition, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well this was fucking stupid
0: yeah i'm so glad you came over to read this fucking column i felt like maybe it was it was different in the with the live audience but i i felt like it was it was just like doing the podcast over zoom no i think we're all dumber for this and uh, i
2: thank Jamil Giovanni for that sometimes <laughs> i i think i read too many books uh, uh. <laughs> this is brain poison as a journalist, sometimes I worry I don't work hard enough and then I'll read something Jamil Javani wrote and they like, oh no, I work way too
0: hard. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and if it makes you feel any better, Jamil Javani probably got paid pretty good to write this. It's so bad right now. Yeah, I, I hate this country. <laughs> it's, it's dumb and This stupid. country is very bad. Yeah. Well, that's that's it for that column though. And I'm glad you both sat through it. I've really enjoyed reading it with both of you. Now's the time of the show that we talk about something different. We talk about good things. Part of the show we like to call plugs and wrecks. We talk about things that we're working on, um, that we're allowed to talk about. Things that uh, we might have seen or watched or witnessed or created in the past couple weeks. But yeah, just anything you'd like our audience to know about, Uh, Mitchell?
2: Uh, Yeah. People can find my stuff at pressprogress.ca and uh, occasionally at Jacobin. Um, I've also been doing a deep dive into the bloody history of Canadian peacekeeping. Uh, I will be speaking on a panel at the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute uh, on this coming Wednesday. And part three uh, of the deep dive should be coming out soon. And people can find that at readthemaple.ca.
1: The
0: Maple Rules. What about you,
1: Jeremy? I um, have been on vacation this past week, so I haven't really... um, written anything or uh read much but uh no uh there's a good piece actually in harper's magazine about whether people should still read christopher hitchens and i mean the answer to that is essentially you should read uh his work that was published before uh september 11th (laughs) And I... I feel that way about Osama bin Laden's writing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I agree with that. Um, He really fell off, yeah. And uh, it's much better than uh, Ben Burgess uh, came out with a shitty book on Hitchens about how actually it's all worth reading um, because he was great intellect that just had some good faith disagreements with the left after 9-11. And uh, I think that's crock shit and he lets him off way too easy. Um, But this...
0: like referring to like Islamophobia as good faith, yeah.
1: Fuck. yeah sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry
0: for interrupting, but fuck that. Yeah,
1: well, Ben Burgess, I think, maybe in the midst of his own uh, hitchens like uh, pivot. Uh, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, which I don't have a problem with. I mean, he's got a massive audience, but he was nodding along, agreeing with him about how Andy knows a journalist who's being attacked by the far left. So, um, you know. Mixed bag. I've heard he's a pretty cool guy, Ben Burgess, but uh, yeah, his book on Hitchens, not great, but this piece in Harper's, which is much shorter, uh, is good. And I would uh, recommend that. Fantastic.
0: Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the Big Shiny Takes Institute Hour live that's what we call our live shows. Uh, live from Toronto, Toronto, in my house. Uh, thank you to the studio audience who like sat through the entire episode and didn't make a fucking peep, just as we requested. So we can untie them. <laughs> it's. it's just, we'll talk about it after the episode. Everybody, we will be coming out with more episodes soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye
1: bye. It's big shiny takes, the only anti-free speech podcast, big shiny takes, reading garbage for your brain. It's big shiny takes with Jeremy Eric and Marino. Big shiny takes our sure to entertain. Are sure to entertain.